Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bibles, please open them up again. We are in Philippians chapter 4, uh, where we'll be starting in verse 5, specifically the latter half of verse 5, and we'll go through verse 9 this morning. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. Let's pray real quick together. Father, I want to thank you so much for your word this morning. Father, I've talked with a lot of people, not only in our congregation, but just a lot of people in general, and I know all of us at some point, in some form, wrestle with anxiety. Some of us, maybe even this morning, maybe some of us feel heavy. Maybe some of us are looking at uncertainties in our lives and we just don't know what to do. Father, I want to thank you that you are a God that meets us in those. That your word isn't silent. But that you meet us in the midst of our mess. And you redeem it. So Father, I want to give this time to you. Father, help us focus in on your word. Change us with it. In your name we pray. Amen. Now I have a few questions for us this morning as we get started. How many of you are afraid of heights? Anybody that's afraid of heights in the room, okay? I am like super afraid of heights. I can't stand like three steps on a ladder. Like I get that, I just start freaking out. Um, ironically though, if you put me into a roller coaster that goes 70 miles an hour and 400 feet in the air, I'm totally fine. I love that kind of stuff. But a step ladder, nope, I can't do anything like that. Or how about this one? How many of you are claustrophobic? You don't like being in an enclosed place, okay? Yeah, that was a pretty common one. Like, okay, yeah, we do not sign me up for that. That sounds awful. Or how about this one? How about arachnophobia? Anybody do not like spiders? Like, if you find a spider in your house, you're like, well, it's time to move. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I got to get out of here. That's it, right? Now, those are some really common phobias that a lot of people have. It's very common to have those. But as I was doing my research this week, I found that there is a list of what the internet called odd phobias, now, I'm not saying that if you have this, you are odd, but the internet says so. So I trust the internet. So uh, there's a list of odd phobias. I want to see if you guys can guess what some of these are. Okay, how many of you ever heard of nomophobia? Nomophobia. It's the fear of being without your phone. Now, I know a lot of junior hires and senior hires that have that. So like, we got to pray for those guys, right? There's a nomophobia. It's a real thing, right? Okay, next one. Globophobia. Anybody know what globophobia is? It's the fear of balloons, Fear of balloons. I picture people that have this, like their worst nightmare of a horror movie isn't like Saw. It's like Up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or how about this one? Arithnophobia. 
arithmophobia. Yeah, fear of numbers. Fear of numbers. They shouldn't be an accountant or anything like that. That'd be no good. All right, how about this one? I, 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 I say I'm, I'm proud about this one because I, I practiced in the mirror like 20 times for this one. Okay, ready for this one? How many of you have heard of hippopotamonstrosis quipodalophobia? Hippopotamonstrosis quipodalophobia. Ironically, that is the fear of long words. <laughs> That's my favorite one. I love that. I love that. Now, maybe you don't identify with any of the fears or phobias that we just mentioned uh, over the past couple minutes, but as I was uh, thinking about this passage this week and I was working through it, I think one of the commonalities that all of us do share as human beings living on this earth is that all of us are afraid and anxious about something. We all have those things in our lives, those situations that come up in our lives that if we are really honest with each other, completely and totally stress us out. And maybe you're here this morning and uh, you are right now, you are stressed out about money. Maybe you just lost your job and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for everything going on. Or maybe you're, the bill, unexpected bills are just piling up and you're like, I don't have the revenue stream to fix this. Or maybe this morning you are here and you feel alone and you're like, where is that person for me? Am I going to have a relationship? Am I going to get married someday? Am I just going to be alone? Maybe you're just afraid of being alone. Or maybe you're heading into middle school or high school or college and you're like, that next step of my life is exciting, but I'm really kind of freaked out. Or maybe you're here today and there's just something going on in your life and you're just like, I, I'm pretty uncertain about what's next. See, the bottom line is we all have these situations and anxieties and burdens that in our life that press in on us and threaten to pull us under. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times in my life when uh, anxiety comes in, stressful situations come in, and I completely fold and buckle under all the pressure they bring. Am I alone in that, or other people, can, can you identify with that? I often get lost in the what-ifs of my life. And I'm sure as, as, as we look towards our Philippians passage here, I am sure that Paul, as he is sitting in a Roman prison cell, waiting to hear if they are going to cut off his head or not cut off his head, I'm pretty sure he's pretty freaked out too. I'd be weird not to be. He's probably wondering, what's going to happen? What's gonna, am I going to get out of here or am I not going to get out of here? And I'm sure there's a temptation there for Paul in this situation to be freaked out, to live in the chains of anxiety. We also know the church that Paul is writing to here in Philippi. They're also struggling with some of these things too. Paul's not the only one going through hard times. We mentioned this last week, but uh, Paul, Paul, this church that Paul's writing to, they're facing uncertain futures. Last week we talked about one of the major issues they were, they were facing was there was two uh, ladies within the church that were arguing. There was Judea and Syntyche, and some, uh, it started as a small argument, became a big argument, and all of a sudden there's people on team Judea, there's people on team Syntyche, and it looks like this church is about to fall apart. There's a split coming, and they're freaked out by all the stuff on the inside, but that's not the only problem. The other big problem that they're facing is they're starting to experience persecution for the, la for, for the first time. 
The government's coming in and they're saying, you got to conform with culture or else. Whether that means losing your job, losing social standing, going to prison, maybe even losing your life. This church is facing an uncertain future from the inside and from the outside. So when we come into this passage here, Paul is giving his last official message to the Philippian church on the Christian life in the pursuit of joy. Next week, we're going to see him kind of tie the whole letter together in a nice little bow. But this week, he gives his last exhortation to this church in this letter as he speaks into probably one of the number one ways that life tries to steal our joy. The anxiety at the situations of the unknown future. That's what he's speaking to. Take a look down at your text with me again at verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul starts out this section here telling everyone to not be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. Now, I know for some of us, when we are afraid, someone telling us to not be afraid is like, yeah, thanks. That doesn't help me very much, right? That doesn't help me very much. But that's what he says here. He says, don't be afraid about anything. And that word anything is pretty important because notice what he doesn't say there. He says, he doesn't say, be anxious about nothing except your job. Those guys are crazy. You can worry about that. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, be anxious about nothing except your kids or family because that's a wild situation. That's crazy. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, be anxious about nothing except the unknown future. He says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. And what I really love about this verse here is that he gives a reason for why he's saying this. And in fact, it's a reason that I think we often miss when we talk about this text. Because I've heard a lot of sermons about this text. I've been raised in the church my entire life. And every single sermon I've heard starts with verse 6. Right? What's the first word in verse 6 there? If you look down at your text, what is it? Be anxious for nothing. It starts right there. Now, I want to ask you a question. I'm a grammar nerd. I'm a writing major when I was in college, English major. I want you to look at the be anxious for nothing there. What is the letter B there, capitalized or lowercase? It's lowercase, right? Do sentences start with a lowercase letter? No, they don't. They start with an uppercase letter, right? And if you go right before that B, what else do you see? There's a point of punctuation. What is it? A semicolon. Are semicolons the start of a sentence or a middle of a sentence, typically? A middle of a sentence. So we are starting in the middle of a thought at verse 6. The beginning of the thought goes back to verse 5, which is the reason why we are not to be afraid. He says what? At the very beginning of that sentence. Read it out for me. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, be anxious for nothing. See, the reason that Paul gives that they don't have to be afraid is that the Lord is present. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. He's working within the situation. Now, I don't know about you, but if I can be honest, when I am struggling with anxiety and I'm wrestling through those issues, if I'm really honest with myself, what I'm usually worried about is that God's going to get it wrong in my case. 
He might be faithful to everybody else, but he's going to get it wrong with me. He's going to mess up with me and that my situation's going to slip through his fingers or maybe he's just not looking right now. He's dealing with like all the stuff going on in Ukraine or, or whatever the case may be and he's going to forget me. That maybe all of this stuff that's going on, he's going to miss it. And maybe you felt that way before. Maybe sometimes when you look at some of the stuff going on in your life, you're like, God, are you somewhere else right now? Because uh, it feels like you stepped away and then all this stuff happened. What Paul does in this text here is he says, the Lord hasn't gone anywhere. He's near. And because of his nearness, we do not have to live in fear. Now, something powerful here that I think we do have to talk about when we talk about this is Paul is not saying you have to ignore your fear. He's not saying you have to put your fingers in your ears and just pretend it doesn't exist and just keep moving forward and just be la, 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 it doesn't exist. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he goes on to talk about how to deal with it. See, courage is not uh, ignoring your fear and pain and the issues that are going on in your life. Courage is walking forward even in the midst of it. It's walking forward when the storm is still rolling. See, God's never going to ask you to ignore your pain. He's never going to ask you to just pretend it doesn't exist. He wants you to engage with it with him and walk through it together. That's what he wants, to grow and shape you to be more like him. In fact, that's what Paul even starts to hint at here. Look down here after your verse. It says, be anxious for nothing, verse 6. But then it says, but in everything... In everything, in all situations, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says, because God is near, he wants you to bring your concern, bring your anxiety, bring your brokenness to him. And his nearness here means he can welcome the broken. He can welcome us. In the book of Matthew, uh, uh, Jesus talks about this exact very thing. In in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, there's a section where Jesus is out with a crowd, and it says, he says, Come to me, all who labor, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what I love about this passage here is that there are no qualifiers for who's allowed to come to Jesus and who's not allowed to come to Jesus. This text doesn't say, if you give me six months of good behavior, you can come in and unload your burdens. It doesn't say, if, if, if you just try harder, you can, you can come to me. If you, or if you have just had a, a good lineage or a good upbringing, then you can come to me. That's not what he says. The only qualifier that he gives to come to him is that you have a burden. That's the qualifier. If you are burdened, come. And if we're looking back at our Philippian text, that's what Paul is saying. That's what he's getting at. He's saying these burdens that you are carrying, these anxieties that you are are stressing you out, are stealing your joy, that are making you lose sleep at night, he says bring them to a father who cares. Bring them to a father who wants you to unload them to him who's trustworthy. 
The Old Testament talks about this too. Psalm chapter 56, verse 4. It says, when I am afraid, not if I become afraid, not if, if for some reason bad things happen and I happen to become afraid. When I become afraid, the Bible assumes we will be. When I become afraid, I put my trust in you. And we are able to do this as we pour out our hearts in troubles through prayer. I think a lot of times when we approach prayer, we approach it as a last resort. Anybody done that before? I've been there plenty of times. We usually think of prayer a lot of times as the emergency parachute that we use and we pull just in case the main parachute of our own self-effort and pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps doesn't work. If we do a study in Scripture of what prayer is all about, and we are going to, within the next year, we're going to go through a sermon series on prayer, uh, we see over and over and over again that prayer is not the last resort that God gives us. Prayer is our first resort. Prayer is our first resort. And in Scripture, he tells us, in this passage, he says, come and pour out these burdens. Pour out these things that you are hanging on to, to a faithful father who is able to work in the midst of these situations. And I want to tell you something with this too. Your father in heaven isn't scared of anything you have to say. He's not. He's not frightened. He's not afraid of your doubt. He's not afraid of your bluntness. He's not afraid of your candor. There's nothing that you can bring to your Father in heaven that he hasn't heard before. He desires that you come and lay these burdens right at his feet. Now, I think there's an important nuance here we have to talk about real quick. If you look in that verse there, what he says, uh, bring your requests, bring your supplications, there's another word that's really important there. It says, bring them with thanksgiving. We think, what in the world does that mean? With thanksgiving, not turkey. It's not a turkey leg, right? With thanksgiving. And there, he differentiates something here about prayer. See, he's saying that prayer is not just an avenue where we come to God and just complain. Although when you do complain, he's big enough to handle that. It's not an avenue where we just come and complain. But with thanksgiving means we are reminding ourselves of truth. We are entrusting these broken situations. We are entrusting these hard, difficult things we are going to to a father who is able to care for you and is capable of dealing with these things and who already knows all about it. So he says praying with thanksgiving here. He's saying not only am I coming and pouring out the complaint, but I'm saying, God, I don't know how you're going to fix this. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what you're even doing right now, but I know you're in control of it, and I know you are dealing with it. And Paul says when we do that, we get to experience the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, we experience peace that the world just doesn't understand. See, when we entrust our broken and hard situations to a faithful Savior, we get to experience peace. I know up here I talk a lot about my little Wednesday walks that I do. I, I, every Wednesday I go for about a four-mile walk or so, and I just pray. 
I pray about situations that are going maybe on here at church, or I pray through just burdens that I'm carrying. And there's a lot of Wednesdays when I walk out on that, uh, on that road to pray that it feels like I'm carrying like a 50-pound backpack. Anybody feel like that sometimes, or you're just like, I feel like I'm bearing a weight right now? And as I go on that walk and as I start praying, I start unloading these burdens and I start uh, talking through these things, a lot of times my prayer starts out like, God, what's the deal? But as I pray, as I pour out the complaints, I start remembering how God has been faithful every single other time in the past. How he shows up in every single broken scenario of my life, time and time again. I've been in a lot of broken scenarios. And he carries me through. That changes your prayer a little bit. And you start saying, God, I know you've been faithful back here, and I know the situation right now that I don't have a, a, an answer to. You're going to do something with it. You're working in it. You're changing things in it. And I know you are going to do it. See, peace enters when we realize something very, very, very important. Every situation that enters our lives enters with purpose. That all of these things that happen in our lives that may even feel like, what's the deal, or, or it may feel totally random, God is using in your life. It's being guided by a sovereign hand to make you more and more and more like Christ. And he wants to walk with you through it. He's going to carry you through it. That's where peace and joy comes from. When we talk about throughout this entire series, joy is resting in God's definition of good, that's what we mean. And this allows us to approach the throne of God with confidence. So with this, all of this in mind that Paul moves into verses 8 and 9. See, if the first couple verses tell us that of the things that Paul is saying what not to do, in verses 8 and 9, he is telling us what to do when it comes to our situations when we become afraid. He says this, look down at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in, in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. See, the second thing that Paul does here is that after we lay our burdens at Christ's feet, he tells us we have to replace our thoughts. Because how many of you have had this scenario happen where you go to God in prayer and you're like, okay, God, I don't want to carry this anymore. I want to lay this concern down at your feet and I'm going to walk away and I'm, I'm not going to go back there. And then like you, like 10 steps away, you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't think about that angle. I got to go pick that back up. And oh, I'm worried now again, right? Anybody been there before, right? We go right back to it. I've been there a thousand, a thousand, a thousand times. And what Paul says here is not only do we need to lay down the burdens that we are bearing, but he says when the temptation comes back to worry again, we have to replace our thinking. We have to replace our thinking. So my wife uh, is a counselor. She works uh, specifically in trauma therapy. 
So she sees a lot of, a lot of kids that come in that have had some really, really difficult things happen in life. Really difficult things happen in life. And what happens a lot of times when there's a trauma, you develop these neural pathways. What that means is your, your thoughts have a tendency to develop patterns. Like when you walk out in the woods, you develop a footpath, and you can see the footpath. And if you do that over and over again, every time you do it, it's easier and easier and easier to do it. So a lot of times when we are worried, when we are worried about a concern, every time you are worried about that concern, it gets easier and easier and easier and easier to fall into it. So when you lay a burden down and you start replacing your thinking with something else, it's like blazing a whole new trail. And it hurts. It's hard. It's just easier to go back to the old path. We feel a little more in control. We feel a little bit more like we can uh, handle our situation. But to go to the new path, to think about what's true, what's lovely, what's commendable, all of those things, it's difficult. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying when you lay your burden down and you are tempted to start thinking on that old pattern again, he says you have to pivot your thoughts towards what's true, towards what's honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. See, he's not talking about positive thinking here or being somebody with the glass half full mindset or anything like that. He says think about truth. Think about what's actually true, that when you are tempted to doubt God's goodness rather than diving headlong back into it, remind ourselves of his character and faithfulness to us in the past. When our hearts condemn us and and Satan is telling you, you can never change, you will never get over that issue, you will never get out of that mess, remind yourself that through the gospel you are totally forgiven and can change. When our hearts want to go back to those bitter thoughts about that person that hurt us a long time ago maybe, maybe even 20 years back, and we want to go back to being bitter. He says, remember how Christ forgave the unforgivable in you. And extend that same grace when our minds can't seem to figure out how our situations are going to work. He says, remind yourselves of God's character. What's really cool is what happens over time is as you correct your thinking, as these difficult scenarios come back up in your life, it goes from right down that worried path, it goes now into, God, I have no idea how you're going to fix this, but I know you've been faithful up till now. And you're going to be faithful again. And what's really cool, this is like the most, probably the coolest thing, is that our anxiousness actually becomes the pathway where we learn to trust God. That's how powerful God is. That's how much he redeems things. He redeems everything. A few years ago, my wife and I, uh, we, got a, we got a pit bull from the pound. Now, if you know me at all, you know I love talking about my dog. Some of you have met my dog. But just in case you haven't met my dog, I brought a picture. This is Nala right here from a couple years ago, but this is her. That's Nala. We, I love that dog. She is a crazy dog, but we absolutely love her. Now, when we went to the, the pound to pick her up, what we were told is that she was about six months old and that she was found wandering the streets over in Benton Harbor and that somebody had just dropped her out of the car and left her. That's what had happened. 
And since, that we had been, since we went to go pick her up before that, she'd been in the pound for about two weeks at that point, and two other families had come by to pick her up, and within like two or three days, they brought her back. Right? They were like, no, thank you. This dog's way too crazy for us. We do not want any part of that. Now, why we still took her home that day, I don't know, but we did. Right? So we brought her back. Now, when we brought her home, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. How many of you have gotten a dog before, and you're like, I wish I got a warranty on this thing, right? Like, that's not what I expected, right? This dog is absolutely crazy. He just runs all over the place, endless streams of energy. She's like four and a half now, and she still has endless streams of energy. I don't know how she does that. But she was absolutely crazy. But what we also didn't know was we were getting a dog with severe separation anxiety. Severe separation anxiety. Wherever she went, yes, severe separation. If you were sitting in a chair, she was joined you. It doesn't matter how small it is. She would just jump right up in your lap, just like that. If you're on the couch watching a movie, she's right there on the couch with you. If you're doing dishes, she was right there at your feet as you, were, as you do the dishes. If you jump in the shower and you left the door open, she jumped in the shower with you. Well, what happened is, is she'd jump in the shower, and she would just huddle in the corner and just, like, sit there not wanting to get wet because she's terrified of water. But her fear of being left alone was, wor- was worse than her fear of water was. See, every single master that she had had up to that point never stuck around. Ever. Ever. So you can see where this creates a problem. It's fine when we are home, but when we leave to go to work, because my wife and I both have jobs, all of a sudden that worry comes up. They're not coming back. They're going to leave me here. They're not going to come back. And in those early days when we first got her, we'd come back and there'd be Amanda's shoes and the ground would be just shredded, you know? Or like the end table, she'd chewed a corner off the, all the end tables. She, all the end tables she chewed corners off of. Or the lamps she would chew, or whatever the case may be. She chewed up a ton of stuff because she was terrified. We weren't coming home. Because every master she submitted to left. And I'll never forget, one day, we were watching a movie. This is months and months after we got her. We were watching a movie, and she was on the couch with us. And about halfway through the movie, she got up, went to the spare room. I figured she was getting a toy, but she never came back. About an hour later, I went to check on her, and she was asleep on the spare room bed. Now, that might seem innocuous to most of us, but that was the first time we were home that she was ever in a different room for any length of time. What ended up happening was day after day, week after week, or month after month of seeing our faithfulness, she knew we were coming home. She knew that we weren't going to leave her. Now she basically asks me to leave so I can, she can sleep and stuff. But in those early days, the reason I tell this story, in those early days, her anxiousness, as real and as visceral as it might have been, didn't determine her reality. My wife and I's faithfulness did. She may have felt like we were going to leave her, 
But the reality was we weren't no matter her feelings. We were coming home. Her anxiety became the pathway where she learned to trust. And the same is true with our anxiousness. Because here's the reality. Your anxiousness doesn't determine your reality. As a guy who has struggled with panic attacks most of my life, and I understand when I say those anxieties feel like reality, your anxiety does not determine your reality. God's faithfulness and character does. That's the bottom line. That's why you don't have to be afraid. That's why you can approach life with courage and faithfulness because he's not leaving. When he said, I'm never going to leave and forsake you, he meant every single word. So as we uh, transition to communion here, if I could have the guys come up and Riley come up. I think the greatest evidence of God being committed to changing us and helping us comes in the form of Jesus. See, when he sent Jesus, he could have just sent Jesus as 100% God and go through life on easy mode and just like never experience hardship and just do the sacrifice thing and beam me up, Scotty, go back up, right? He could have done that, but he didn't. He came as 100% God, but he also came as 100% man, so a man who suffered like we do who experience temptations like we do, and trials and heartbreak and anxiety like we do. In fact, Hebrews says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, underline, circle every respect, and has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, or since that is true, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He said Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet he didn't sin. But he understands the process. He understands. So when you come with him with globophobia and you're afraid of balloons or whatever the case may be, He doesn't say, geez, that guy again. He says, child, I get it. I understand. Come home. I don't know what you're bearing today, but know that if you are a believer in Jesus, you have an approach with confidence because you have an advocate who has already gone on before you. And you can unload those burdens today. I'm going to pray for us, and then the men are going to uh, uh, pass the communion elements out, and we'll take them in just a minute. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.